Well, good evening. Hey, you know what, there's, there's, you know, with the sign-ups for getting involved here in these three ministries, if, if you were in a little bit late and didn't uh, catch the introduction of that, that's why those pads are up here. We're going to have them up for the next several weeks, but even with life groups, and I, I know how it goes, right? You're going to leave here, you're, you're going to find a reason not to do what God's speaking to your heart to do right now, right? You're going to say, oh, they, they already met a week, the life groups, and so I don't want to be that one that comes and wasn't there the first week. You, you will spend the rest of your life finding excuses to not do the things that God's trying to get you to do so you can move forward in your spiritual life. Even if you don't feel stuck spiritually, if you're not taking the next step, that's exactly what you are. And it could be that you've been stuck there so long that you just, you forgot what feeling stuck is, and that's become your new normal. And so we've got 12 pathways that we teach here at City Life. We spent the whole summer on it. So if this is your first time visiting with us, you can go on and get some of those podcasts. But all 12 of those pathways should be an active part of your life if you're going to move forward in your life as a devoted follower of Christ. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Daniel chapter 2. I want to read a few verses for you. We're launching a new sermon series at all three of our campuses uh, called Stranger Things, based on anybody here, Stranger Things people? Come on, Netflix. I know. Season two's coming out. It'll be here. Just hang on. All right, so Daniel 2. I'm going to start uh, with, with um, verse 18. Verse 18. He urged them to ask the God of heaven, to show them his mercy by telling them the the secret. What's the secret? The secret is the king has come out and said to his wise men, I want you to interpret my dream. And the wise men said, tell us the dream. And the king says, nope, if you've got supernatural powers, you pray to your God, he's going to give you the dream, and then you give me the interpretation, right? Because he knows this. These wise men, he could be giving them the dream, He doesn't know whether or not they're telling him the truth. He doesn't know if they're just making it up. So he says if they've got real power, then they will be able to know what the dream is even without me telling. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men. Now this is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These four young Jewish boys. They're in their late teens. Probably now they've been taken away in captivity. They've been chosen because God's favor is on their life to become to be groomed as wise men here in Babylon. Verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious and, dare I say, stranger things. He knows what lies, what, what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength, and you have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Now, I'm going to come back to this text in just a minute, but Daniel 1, 2, and 3 are are just three incredible stories that you read about in Scripture, and some just crazy, strange things happen in all three of these texts. So this shows Stranger Things that's kind of taken the the binge-watching community by storm. How many of you like to binge-watch shows? 
right? And all, now, how many of you don't have your hand up because you're embarrassed? You can go and put it up now with the rest of us, right? right? So, so if, you're, if you're not up to speed with what that is, like groups like Netflix, they will create a show and they'll put all eight or nine episodes all out at the same time. And then people like myself, right, on our day, we get all excited and then they, we watch every one of the episodes. You don't have to wait till next week for them to come out. So here's a little synopsis of this show, Stranger Things. In a small town where everyone knows everyone, a peculiar incident starts a chain of events that leads to the disappearance of a child, which begins to tear at the fabric of an otherwise peaceful community. Dark government agencies and seemingly malevolent supernatural forces converge on the town while a few locals begin to understand that there's more going on than meets the eye. Eight episodes released, nine more is coming out in 2017. If you go to IMDb, the Internet Movie Database, if you're a film person, you're a regular visitor there, over 165,000 people have written a review on this show, and the average review is 9.1 out of 10, which never happens. It's unheard of. That's why people are so excited about this show and season two coming out in 2017. And then also small town hardware stores all across America are sold out of Christmas lights and bear traps. But you don't know why that's funny if you've not watched the show. So, so, so why, why, why are we talking about Daniel 2 here for this series? Why are we using this text to launch this series? It's because when you read Daniel 1, 2, and 3, you find some strange stuff. I mean, how can it be that a person does not even know what the dream is, and, and, and yet, yet in, they, in their vision, God reveals to them the actual dream that this person has that's never told anybody what the dream is, and they're given the interpretation of the dream. If you want to read more about that, you can read in Daniel chapter, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little bit strange to me. What if you went to a friend at work and you said, I had a dream last night? Really, what was it? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I want you to tell me what it was. Right? They're going to walk away, though. That guy's a little strange. Right? You, it, it's just odd. So we've read some of these stories so many times, we forget how odd they are. Right? We, we, our familiarity with these texts causes us to forget how strange they were. You want to know what else is strange in Daniel? In Daniel chapter 1, there are a group of teenage boys in a room with a spread of food that's bigger than anything that they've ever seen in their life and kinds of food that they've always been told that they can't eat. And everybody else walks out the room and they're told you can eat all of this food if you want to. And Daniel says, a teenage boy, I'll just take some alfalfa sprouts, thank you, that's all. Now I've got teenagers, I'm telling you, that's strange. And if you've got teenagers who like to eat, then you know it's strange too. Who, what kind of teenager says, I'm not going to eat any of that food because of something that God spoke to them? What, what teenager says that? Yeah, a guy named Daniel. How about Daniel chapter 3, when you get to the third chapter, and this is the famous story of where Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive statue of himself and says everybody's going to bow to this statue, and everybody who doesn't, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace. The furnace is so hot when they got up to the furnace to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in because they would not bow, and their great declaration was we're not going to bow, and even if, even if you throw us in that furnace, our our God is, most, is powerful enough to save us, but even if he chooses not to, we still will not bow. Teenagers! Making a stand like that for God in the world. The people that throw them into the furnace were consumed by the flames. It was so hot. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar looks in and says, I thought we just threw three of those kids in there. And there's four people walking around because Jesus was right in there with them. There's strange stuff in this book, and it was real. And I think sometimes one of the reasons why shows like Stranger Things is it captivates people's imagination is because deep down inside, there's something inside of us that wants to believe that supernatural things can be real. Something deep inside of us, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about how God put eternity in all of our hearts, meaning that there's something inside of us that has a, an intuitive spiritual sense that this world is not all that there is, and that when we begin to read about this book, even if it's a little bit confusing, something inside of us resonates with its truth. I like shows like Stranger Things because it reminds us just because it's strange doesn't mean that it can't be real. If we're not careful, we'll go through this life with this attitude and this mindset of everything that's unfamiliar, everything that's new for me, everything that I'm going to categorize as odd and strange because I've not really been exposed to it before. I'm going to be suspicious of it to the degree that I'm going to reject even the remotest possibility that it could be real. If you took out everything in the Bible that is strange and odd, you would be left with about three pages right? From Genesis to Revelation, there's just some strange stuff in here. Now, I'm not saying that every cockamamie idea that, that some filmmaker comes up with can, can be real. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is everything in this book is real. And even if it's strange to you through this series, my challenge to you when we're going to talk about strange things in this book is don't dismiss it because it's strange and odd to you. If God says that it's real, open up your heart to the possibility that not only does he want you to embrace the fact that it's real, but he wants it to be a reality in your life. They may seem like they belong in an upside-down world, but God's hope is that we will grow to both expect them and embrace them. Both expect them and embrace them. 1 Corinthians 12, let's turn there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 probably for the next two weeks. Tonight and next Saturday. 1 Corinthians 12. Oh, I love this chapter. Verses 1 through 3. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about special abilities the Spirit gives us. I, I, I like the New Living Translation here. We work out of various different translations here at City Life because not everyone gets every verse right all the time. And so we want to draw from the ones that we feel like give the best representation of what the original Greek was. And a lot of your Bibles, depending on what translation you're using, actually uses the word spiritual gift. How many of you are looking at a Bible and it says spiritual gift there in verse 1? Anybody? Yeah. The word gift does not appear in the original text in this verse. It's not there. Now, is it wrong that they put it there? It's not wrong because translations are really about interpretation, meaning that they're not just trying to, to give you a word-for-word -word translation. They're also, the, a good translation interprets, meaning that it's, it's trying to convey the meaning. And so it might have to add some words because there's a difference between Greek and English, and their goal is to communicate meaning. But sometimes when they try to communicate meaning, there's a bias that's 
being inserted there, and the word gift does not belong here in this verse. In fact, because it's here in the first verse, inappropriately, it becomes the lens that you see the entire rest of the chapter through, and that creates confusion. I like the New Living Translation because it says, it's his special abilities that the Spirit gives us. Gift has a very specific connotation in our Western culture, and if you start there, we already get sideways, and so we're going to clean up some of that understanding tonight. This word gift that appears later in the text in the Greek is charismata. Charis is the word for Greek, and this suffix, mata, it means the result of. So the word charismata means the, it literally means the result of of grace. And so when you, when you see the word gift here in 1 Corinthians 12, I would encourage you, if you've got a paper Bible, you should just mark it out and, 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 and draw a line over to the margin and put the result of grace, because that's what this word means. The Greek has its own word for the kind of gift that you're used to. Anybody have a, had a birthday this year? Yeah, everybody's had a birthday this year. Come on, come on, right? And how many of you like to get gifts on your birthday? Anybody? I like to get gifts on my birthday. I'm about it, right? I like it. You like to get gifts on your birthday, right? This, that's the idea of gift that, that we're accustomed to. So when you see this idea of spiritual gift in 1 Corinthians 12, that's what our mind races to because that's our normative experience. It means somebody's coming and giving me something. And, 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 and the Greek has its own word for that. It's, it's durea. It's the kind of thing where, where you show up and you give someone a present. But that's not what this word gift means. This word gift literally means it's the result of grace in your life. Now you can understand why gift is the word that many Bibles have chosen to kind of translate that word or interpret it. But you can also appreciate why we get a little sideways in our understanding because of our normative Western experience. It's not that kind kind of gift. It's the result of grace. It's a, an ability that's active in your life because the Holy Spirit is present inside of you, because you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and the only reason the Holy Spirit is in you is because of this word called grace. Let's keep going. Verse 2, you know, you know, that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1 here, Paul's saying that, that he's saying, what I want to talk about now is the various ways that God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. That's the Message Bible. That's a great translation for that verse. What I want to talk about now is the various ways that God's Spirit gets worked into our lives. And then in verses 2 and 3, what Paul is saying is, hey, if there has been an inward decision, there should be outward signs. Isn't that good? The, the first couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is saying that, hey, if, 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 if the Holy Spirit is present in your life, there's going to be some abilities that come with that. 
But, but before we get talking about all these special abilities that people are excited to hear about that seem a little bit strange and odd, let's talk about this idea that if the Holy Spirit is present in you as a result of a vow of devotion that you made, right, then there should be some outward signs. It, it should be observable by the people that are around you that you're a Christian by the way that you live. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read out of verse 23 and 24. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you looked like. It's powerful, isn't it? I remember when I was younger, and I'd be outside working with my dad on the car, and, and, uh, and he would need a part. And he'd say, we, we, we got to go to the parts store. Let's go. And I'd be like, I can't go to the parts store like this. I've got these old work clothes on. i got grease on me. And then I look at my dad, and I'm thinking, you don't want to go in public looking like that, right? But he didn't care. He's just like, what, what difference does it make? I'm just going to get a part for the car. He's like, come on, get in the car. I'm like, i got to go in and change. He's like, you're not changing. Anybody else have a conversation like that with your dad when you were growing up, right? Guess what I am now? I'm that dad. Need a part for the car? I'm like, hey, I gotta go to the store. Anybody go with me? I'm not going to the store with you looking like this, right? I gotta do my hair, I gotta change my shirt, and I'm in these ratty old shorts and a t-shirt that's got grease and grease smudged on my face, and I'm wearing my wife's favorite shoes that I own, which are camo crocs, which she despises, right? She's like, why do you wear those shoes? They're so ugly. I'm just going to get something for the car, right? I'm that person. Th- this is how we live our spiritual lives, right? Sometimes we're that person where we look into God's word and we see how messed up our life is. And then we walk away as if we didn't even see it. And then some of us, right, we, we, we look in and we, 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 we look into God's word and we see where our life is not lined up with God's word. And, and then and what God says the mature Christian does is that we begin to try to change our appearance to look more like what God's word says. What Paul is saying here to the church of Corinth is that When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, some of the things that change in your life are going to be things that you have to stop doing, and then some are going to be things that you have to start doing. So we like participation here at City Life. So what are some things, not that these are you, right, because you're talking about other people in moments like this, right, but when you became a Christian or your friend became a Christian, what were some things that they stopped doing? Anybody? Raise your hand. David. Cursing. Amen. Come on. Somebody else. Somebody's like, I'm still working on that one, right? Drinking in excess. Yeah, drinking in excess, right? To intoxication. That's something they stopped. Somebody else. I saw some hands pop up over here. Anybody else? What's something that stopped happening in your life when you became a Christian? You guys are shy tonight. Okay, I know many of you, so I'm just going to start telling some of your stories. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, you just have to stop hanging around some people because, you know, I'm not strong enough to be around them because I'm going to end up doing things that I'm not supposed to do. Somebody else, somebody else, what's some things that stopped in your life when you became a follower of Christ? Partying, yeah, right? Come on, who else? Stop looking for fights. Yeah, just going out, just looking for trouble. Tara. Um, Got to fix your attitude. Got to fix your attitude. We're all still working on that one, aren't we? 
Should we just pause there for a moment? <laughs> right? Fix in your, your attitude. Kelby. Sleeping in on Sundays or Saturdays, right? Yeah, if you're city life. Right? Yeah, yeah, making a decision to not go to church because you just you want to sleep, because you're being lazy, right? We could go on and on and on, and I know, and I'm telling you, I know some of you, you've got a lot more things on your list than that, that you know, that you said, I got to stop doing this. Now, what are some things you started doing, right? This is a little bit easier. Hands are going to go up all over the place now, right? Because we don't like to tell on ourselves, but we like to brag on ourselves. So, so what's something you started doing when you made a vow of devotion to Christ that you weren't doing before? Somebody else. Yes, ma'am. Going to church. Come on. Volunteering to serve, yes, Jessica. Life groups, come on, somebody else. The car. Asking for help. That's a good one, isn't it? Just being vulnerable and honest about a need and asking people to help you share. Memorizing scripture. Somebody else, anybody over here? Something you started doing, Penny. Praying, come on. Praying, I heard you did a great job this morning. Come on. Tara, too, and Stephanie's over at the Suffolk campus. I, all right, so just a really quick story. I was joking with some people earlier. We had a, a women's brunch here. Over, it was like 120 women uh, here. Biggest crowd we've ever had for our fall ladies brunch. And so I get here a little bit early, and I, first thing I do, I walk through the building to make sure the thermostats are step right. And I got about five steps from the fellowship hall. It smelled like the Macy's perfume cal- calendar ca- counter. Per, it, still, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I was like, yep, yeah, there was a ladies brunch here this morning. So if it smells a little bit like perfume, that's why. Okay. Yeah. So somebody else, something you started doing. Somebody. Daily devotions. Daily devotions. Chris. Witness. Yes, witnessing, telling other people about Christ. Somebody else. Tithing. Tithing. Come on, say that again. Tithing. Say it louder. Oh, yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> somebody else. In the back, Scotty. Uh, being, held being held accountable. You guys are rolling now, right? Yes. Letting other people speak into your life. Yes. Blessing others. I love that violin tonight. It was awesome. Come on. You can clap. Come on. This, this is what Paul's saying to the church of Corinth. You got to stop stuff. You got to start stuff because the Holy Spirit is now active in your life and he's going to begin to change you. We, we love to talk about fill in the blank text here at City Life Church. This is a fill in the blank moment. You might say, well, Fred, I've never cursed Jesus. I've never, I've never said things like that about Christ since I've been a Christian. I've never worshiped idols. These are fill in the blank moments. It means that you got your own list. You got stuff that you're not doing that you should be doing and stuff that you are doing that you need to stop. And so Paul's saying to you and he's saying to me, he's saying to all of us, you've got to let the Holy Spirit begin to change and transform your life. And what he's saying to these people and how he's doing it is the first thing that I want to point out that's strange. And and some of you brought it up. Scotty mentioned about, about people holding you accountable. I don't know about you, when I first made a vow of devotion to Christ when I was in my early 20s, this idea of letting people challenge you doesn't feel great, does it? This idea of of letting people get into your life, not to tell you what to do, but people that love you enough to tell you the hard things. I don't know about you, but that was a little bit strange for me when I became a devoted follower of Christ. 
It just did not feel natural to be that vulnerable with people, to trust that they would keep a confidence, and then to let them push back on me when I had ideas that weren't good, or, or that they knew that I'm looking into the mirror of God's Word and seeing things in my life that needed to change and choosing to not change them, and they step up into my life, and we look into the mirror together, and then they begin to point out stuff that I'm ignoring. It doesn't, it doesn't feel good when that starts to happen, does it? In fact, I would say it feels strange. And that's what Paul's saying is you've got to get over this feeling of other people challenging you as being strange and get to a place where you long for it because something inside of you craves that kind of authentic relationship. You and I will not make the kind of progress that we need to make in our spiritual life until you build the kind of relationships where there are people that you trust enough to challenge you and to push you forward. I need people like that in my life. You need people like that in your life. That's one of the reasons why life groups are so important because it's where some of those relationships begin to happen. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you put your time in, those relationships will form. And what used to be strange, this feeling of accountability, now becomes familiar and something that you long for for the rest of your life. Paul transitioned in verses 4 through 6. Now, these verses are important because verses 4 through 6 set up the whole rest. It set up the whole rest of the chapter. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts. Now, this is where he uses it, and it should be used here because this is where the word charismata, it, it, it appears. There are different kinds of results of grace. You should put that there. But the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Verses four through six is the heading for the rest of this chapter. And Paul is breaking it out for us. He's saying, hey, for the rest of this part of the letter, I'm going to talk about something called the spiritual gifts, the result of grace, and he connects those to the Holy Spirit. And then he talks about different ways that we serve, or you could call those ministries, and he connects those specifically to the work of Jesus. And then in verse 6, he talks about different that we work in different ways. I'm going to call those activities. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And he connects that to God, right? There's, a different, there's three different categories, and he connects those categories to each individual part of the Trinity. So in the New King James Version, I, I think they get it the best. They say a varieties of gifts, and that's going to be verses 7 through 11. This is going to be on the website, all of these notes. You can just download the PDF, and again, we're going to be here for two weeks. Verses 7 through 11 are the varieties of gifts or the results of grace. And the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, I think we're going to get through three of them tonight. There's nine of them total. That these are supernatural moments that happen and they can be strange. Varieties of ministries, verses 12 through 27. The emphasis there is given to Jesus. This is addressing the various ways we tend to serve one another. We're going to get into that next week. Varieties of activities. Varieties of activities. That's verses 28 through 30, and that's a God emphasis. Another way to think of this one is how we actively identify with the family of God. It's our role. It's our office. What's our activity in the body of Christ? All right, somebody say a strange expectation. 
So, so there's this strange voice. Like when you, when you become a, a devoted follower of Christ, this, this, this strange feeling of, of, of letting other people into your life, becoming vulnerable in these authentic relationships, that's strange. And Paul's trying to help the church of Corinth understand the importance of it. So then he launches into something else that's strange. He gives us nine spiritual gifts or results of grace. They're nine specific ones, and they're broken down into three groups. There are three gifts that reveal, there are three gifts that declare, and there are three gifts that command. And I think we probably will get through three. Maybe we'll get through maybe one of these, and then we'll come back to the later ones uh, next week. So let me, let, me, let me connect this other word to you. Paul here uses the word manifestation. This is a powerful word in the Greek. It's phanerosis. It, 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 and it means to, something to be made manifest. It means for something to be revealed. Now, why is this word connected to the result of grace? Because Paul is saying that God wants to use you. You're a candidate. I'm a candidate. When we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And sometimes God calls our number, just like the kids on the screen, right, for the nursery. Parents, you're so excited when... They call your number, right? Because your child has right, taken some toy for, right? It's No, it's not that. When God calls your number, but we treat it that way, don't we? God, please don't use me, right? Because sometimes it feels strange. Because we're afraid of being perceived as being strange. You and I are a candidate for the supernatural because the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is in us. And he wants to use us. How? To manifest himself, to reveal himself to the world in such a demonstrative way that it makes it undeniable for other people that experience that he's real and that he's alive. I've got a clip. It's just a couple of minutes that we're going to show that we're going to put up there from this show, Stranger Things. And, and, and I think in, in some odd ways that this is a conversation that many of us have been in if you've been around the church for any amount of time. Let's roll that clip. <laughs> I love that scene. I, I loved when he dumps out his knapsack and he's just full of snacks, right? Because uh, I, I would have been that kid, right? Let's forget the weapons. Let's just eat some snacks while we're out there. I, I share that because this, this sometimes is our approach to texts like this. We're excited about the possibility of us having some type of power that we just get to use when we want to use it. That's not what this is about. It's, that's what that's about. But that's not what this is about. This is about God using us. It's not about us using power. We, we like the idea of, of, of things in the Bible being supernatural because, let's be honest, we like the idea of possibly being recognized as being able to do something that other people can't do. There's this egotistical side to who we are that likes to advance our own vain glory. But what Paul's talking about here is, is this humble attitude of us saying to God, God, I want to be a candidate to be used by you whenever you would choose to use me. That Holy Spirit, when you would ever call my number to use me in some way that might seem out of the ordinary to manifest God to the world, I pray that you would always find me to be a willing vessel. That's the kind of heart that we're supposed to have, even if we think it might be strange. Let me just, let's do one of them. The first one, and then we'll do, we'll pick up with the next two, three, the, th the last two of the gifts that reveal next week, and then we'll launch through the rest of the text. So the first one is, is called a word 
of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 12. Listen to this. Spiritual gifts given to each so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives. You, you, you follow that? The spiritual gift, the result of grace, is given to each one of us so we can what? Help each other, right? Not promote ourselves, but help each other. And, and then it says, to one person, the Spirit gives the ability for wise advice. To the other one, it is a message of special knowledge. And then there's the gift of faith. And to another, someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and the other to the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still another person has the ability to speak in unknown languages. And while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Now listen to verse 11. It is, the, it is the one and only Holy Spirit who distributes all these gifts and he alone decides which each person should have. Now, the connotation here, if we're not careful, is that he gives it to you like odoria, right? Like the, the, the word for gift, like a birthday party. But you have to remember, it's called the result of grace. And so this word gift causes us to misunderstand the text. When you read it with the word result of grace, you realize the Holy Spirit isn't just showing up at your door and said, I'm going to give you this gift. I'm going to give you that gift. I'm going to give you this gift over here. That's not what happens. These are manifestational moments. It means that God can use you for any of these at any time, how he chooses to reveal himself to the world. We're a candidate for all nine of these. I remember when, when, when I crossed over into vocational ministry in 1999 and I went to work at my first church. It's the church where I made a vow of devotion to Christ, Mechanicsville Christian Center. Some of you have heard this story before that we took turns as what was called the pastor of the day. It was a large church, about 1,500 people. And so each pastor took a turn for each day. So you were the pastor on call for hospital visits or walk-ins or emergencies that might come. And, and there was a phone call that, that, my, that my phone rings in my office and it's the receptionist says, hey, I've got somebody that wants to speak to a pastor. So I, I say, yeah, send it on back. And so I'm, I'm, I'm talking to, to, to this lady. And the, the very first thing that she says, the very first thing that she says is, if a person kills themselves, will they go to heaven? Now, when a person starts asking questions like that, right, you know that they're not asking for a friend, they're asking for themselves. And so I'm praying already, God, I, you, you, you have got to help me in this moment. And so I begin to talk with her and try to encourage her. And, and I don't want to answer that question, right? Because I want her to get, uh, I want her to be hungry about some other answers to some other questions that maybe she's not asking. And every now and then I try to subtly get her to tell me who she is, right? But she's not falling for that. And, and so, so we have this long conversation just about God and hope and, and not giving up. And, and uh, ask her again if she'd be willing to tell me who she is. And, and uh, she says no. And then she ends up hanging up. So it's I kid you not, as soon as the phone hung up, God speaks to me and tells me who this woman is. Just tells me who it is. Gives me her name. I see her parents. I knew her parents went to the church, and she did not go. I don't even think I had ever met her before. But just in that moment, a word of knowledge, it just comes to me. So I go to the receptionist, and I say, hey, give me, I'm just say the name, uh, Bob and Patty. That wasn't the name. Give me Bob and Patty's number. I want to call them. So I call uh, Bob and Patty, and I say, hey, I need you to give me your daughter's phone number. I knew them really well, and they said, absolutely. So they give me their daughter's phone number. I call the daughter, right? And I said, hey, this is Pastor Fred from Mechanicsville Christian Center. You and I just got off the phone with each other. She about died right there. Well, that's probably not a good analogy based on the content. <laughs> Let me say something else. She came so alive, right, when I called 
She was, she, now I don't know where she is today, but, but for the next several years while we were there, she was at church with her family the following Sunday, made a vow of devotion to Christ, got her act together, got help, and was well on her way. Now, I don't know where she is today, but I, for that season, her life was changed. Why? Because God manifested himself in a supernatural strange. It's odd. I get it. It's not normal, but supernatural things aren't normal, but I think that's part of the problem because they're supposed to be. God wants us to be this person that says, call my number. However you would choose to want to use me, I want to be ready for stranger things. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to close with a song. Scotty, your team can come and move this, and we'll get that out of their way. So if you're, if you're, if you're on social media and you were, you were uh, scrolling around on Instagram or Facebook, you might have saw a post I put out this morning that we had a... Um, a, uh, a new sliding glass door put in our downstairs room of our house, and we have the same very advanced security system that you have in your sliding glass door, which is a broomstick that's cut down to size, right? Because, you know, burglars show up and they go, they've got a broomstick, we've got to go to the next house, we'll never be able to get in here. But it helps us sleep at night, right? And so there's a, but so the new door, the broomstick had to be cut down a little bit. And so I go into the garage and I get my handsaw and, and uh, I go out to the back deck and I lay the broomstick on the, the, the decking handle and I'm sawing this broomstick and there was this moment where I thought I could probably hold this down a little better if I reached down and grip the handrail kind of like a, a vice. But I was like, no, I'm almost done. And so I get to the, which is good because that would have been bad because of what was down there. And so I get, I saw it through. And as soon as I saw it through, there are three wasps right there. Two are right by my hand, and one is getting ready to land right on the saw. So there's this huge nest, which I now know, which I didn't know then, was right under there. Can you imagine if I had to reach down in there? Oh, wow. No, not good. Right? So in that moment, right, I jump back, I drop the broomstick, but I have this saw in my hand. And I'm holding on to this saw, right, for dear life. Now, I, I was thinking after the fact, if my neighbors were watching through the window, right, they're thinking, what on earth is this guy doing? Because I look like I was at a Pentecostal tent meeting, right, dancing around, waving this saw, and these three wasps were flying, and they're, right, they're not, they're, they're mad. And, they, and so one of them begins to fly away, and I'm thinking I'm winning this fight. I haven't been stung that one yet. And, but it was flying away so we could get up speed for the attack, right? I'm thinking, you, what kind of wasp are these in Newport News, right? And so it's coming straight for me. So I'll go just like this. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I'm going to fall. So, so, so I cake this saw and I see it coming, right? And I timed it. I just swatted that wasp. It went down like a crop duster in a tornado, right? And I walked over to my victim and just gave him the twisting of the foot because I conquered the wasp, right? But I looked like an absolute fool, right? If somebody could have filmed that and showed that, it'd be like, that, what, what is wrong with him? Isn't that the pastor that lives across the street? I'm telling you that story because I think that's our fear. We're afraid if we open our heart to these things that are supernatural, we're going to look like this wacko crazy person. And none of us wants to be that person. But you know what? God doesn't want you to be that person either. I tell people all the time, we believe in everything that's supernatural in the Bible. This is the phrase we use. We believe in all the power without the pageantry. 
If you've been in churches that have a Pentecostal theology like we do, and that might come as a surprise to you because all of the baggage that kind of has come along with the, quote, Pentecostal church throughout the years, we're just not into that. We're not into people drawing attention to themselves. We're, we're not into it being a contest every weekend for who can act the craziest, right? That's not what, because that's about drawing attention to themselves, but these gifts are about people being drawn to God. God does not want to demean you. He does not want to belittle you. He does not want you to be the odd person in the world. It might feel strange because it's unfamiliar, but he doesn't want you to be the weird Christian. What he wants you to be is the obedient Christian that's willing to open your life to even things that are unfamiliar to you so that he can reveal himself to the world because the world is hungry for a God that is alive. Sometimes might look strange, but feels real because they have eternity in their hearts. Stand with me as we worship together.